Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Hello and welcome to NL Full Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Thank you very much for tuning in. Or once again, don't forget to give us a subscribe on all good podcasting platforms and give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time. And it's the same on Instagram as well. Joining me to look over another dramatic week in the National League is Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, Luke. Good afternoon, chaps. And also with us it is Dickie Watt. And hello, Dickie. Oh, good afternoon, Luke. Good to see you. Yeah, and also it's good to see Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. Very eventful week. We'll start with you, Rob. There's been four managerial departures, five, if you include one that happened recently in the National League North at Gloucester. There's also been managerial departures at Welling and Hemel Hempstead, which we'll get on to later on. But most significantly, on Monday, Aldershot and Barnet both part accompanied with the managers. Harry Kuehl was given the old heave-ho after just six games. And Danny Searle as well, Rob, he went on Monday, which was a bit of a surprise and a bit of a shock. Yeah, it was a surprise, I think, uh, to everybody other than those in the uh, in the echelons of the club involved in the decision. Uh, yeah, I think it's a surprise for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them being that Aldershot's about turning form, really. Four points from six on the road. And uh, much improved performances in those games at Southend and Wealdstone. And also, I think, because Danny Searle was only uh, a few months into a new two-year contract, which suggested that he, he had the chairman's full backing. But I guess, ultimately, uh, they've looked at both the end of last season and the beginning of this season, where obviously it was the five straight defeats, uh, including yesterday, all the shot have lost the last seven home National League games, which is wretched, you know, when you... You pick up the odd result, but you can't do it at all in front of your own fans. It's uh, it's really, really difficult. But, um, I mean, Danny's been on this podcast. He's, he's put in a, a fantastic effort along with Anwar Udin over the last couple of years in difficult circumstances. They haven't had an awful lot of budget. I thought they assembled a really good squad last season, to be fair, uh, certainly from an attacking point of view. They scored plenty of goals, but they conceded too many. They couldn't find consistency. Um, and, of course, the likes of Harry Paniatu and Craig Tanner and Joel Nublé and Josh Reese, who we'll uh, talk to in today's uh, podcast, um, they've all left. And uh, it was a tough start to the season. It would appear that, 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 that moves must have been afoot after the five straight defeats. And uh, by the time the change was made, um, you know, it, it didn't look great timing. Uh, to the outside, but I guess some decisiveness was shown by the Aldershot board, some leadership. Uh, and what they have done is they've brought back in two absolute legends of the club, Mark Mosley, three times as a player, gave his absolute all and scored some massive key goals for the club in his time. Uh, FA Cup replay winner against Portsmouth Live on telly, the goal that kept Aldershot up the season that they uh, started on minus 10 points at Woking with a game to spare. And Terry Brown, of course, who steered Aldershot up from the Ryman Premier League to the conference as it was at the time uh, and is much loved at the club. So it's been a shock, but it's been pretty well received across the board. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have got any comments on, you know, kind of what it looks like from the outside, really. What was interesting, he used a picture of Mark Mosley when he played for Aldershot and he had a nice little man bun. I'm guessing with what you're saying, Rob, about the inconsistency, he won't have much hair left, will he? <laughs> <laughs> 
he's, uh, he's, he's, he's got a little bit left at the moment. You know, he's not quite Gareth Ainsworth, but... Uh, we won't more spoil what happened on Saturday either. We'll come to that later on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, um, I, I I love the guy, Mark Mosley. I've known him for a number of years. I was pitch side with him that day. He scored the goal that kept all the shot up at Woking. It was emotional, but he managed to articulate it really well. And he's been a little emotional... Uh, this week, but only for a short period of time. Uh, he he took a stroll around the EBB Stadium on his own, just gathered his thoughts, had a little moment to himself. Wow, I'm back here as the manager of this club. And then quickly slapped himself on the head and said, right, snap out of it. You've got a job to do here. And looking at the league table, guys, he does have a huge job to do, but he'll have the backing of everybody at Aldershot Town, who also, by the way, wish... Danny Searle and Anwar Udin, all the very best for the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to, just a comment really from the outside looking and it wasn't one that we were expecting. Um, and I was going to ask you, Rob, do you, do you expect any sort of changes in team setup, formations, um, the way that the team's going to start approaching the rest of the season? Yes, I do. And uh, despite the fact that there'd been an improved uh you know, performances of late. Mark Mosley wanted to come in and stamp his own uh, game on as soon as possible. He knows, he fully appreciates, very, very difficult to do in the first couple of games, especially as you're giving new information and, you know, there could be issues with clarity, but he did change immediately to four at the back. He brought back in Jacob Berkeley Agyapong. Um, what he'll want, and his, his mantra, if you like, Mark Molesley, is very intense. He wants an awful lot for the players, but they'll be backed 100%. So he'll ask a lot of them in training and in matches. And it won't be everybody's cup of tea. There may be one or two casualties along the way. But if they stick with him, he's a good coach. And he's the sort of coach that explains why I want you to do this. Um, And look, Mark Mosley's reputation as a manager, forget his previous links to Aldershot, are superb. He got Weymouth up back-to-back promotions to this level and then never got to take up the role because he was tempted by the lure of EFL football. Um, And, uh, yeah, he'll say it was not a waste of time. It was a great experience for him at at Southend um, to manage in really, really difficult circumstances. Some would say he he was doomed to fail in that job, but he gave it a good go. Um, And I think he's had enough time out of the game now just to refresh his appetite and certainly... Talking to him a couple of times this week, once uh, in the post-match interview yesterday and briefly earlier on the phone in the week. Uh, there's a glint in the eye, there's a sparkle in the eye. He, he'll relish this and I think the fact that uh, he'll have Terry Brown there who knows the club, who loves the club. He can be the intermediary, intermediary uh, between um, the management team and the board. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's... Uh, in the circumstances, um, I'm very pleased with the appointment that they've made, having made the change. And like everybody connected with Aldershot Town, we wish Mark Mosley well. And Barnet, they, as I mentioned, they replaced Harry Cool at the minute. They haven't got an appointment in charge. It's Dean Brennan, who's head of football, who took charge for the game against Weymouth. And it's a funny one, Harry Cool. I mean, I mentioned it in the group chat earlier in the week. I think the last three clubs he's been at have been at clubs in crisis. So you had Notts County when Alan Hardy was there. He's been at Oldham where they had a really good away record, but a really poor home record. Again, another club that's in crisis. And again, Barnet, where there's a lot of discontent as well. So does that say more, one, about Harry Cool maybe needs to take a job that's a bit more stable, but 
has he been a bit unlucky with his roll of the dice as well in terms of his managerial jobs? I'm going to give a different opinion on that, a different take on that. Uh, I'm actually going to say, and, and if Barnet fans disagree or agree, by all means, kind of message us on, on Twitter. I think Harry Kuehl was very lucky to get an opportunity at a National League club based on his previous management experiences. He hadn't succeeded in, in, in any of the three roles that I recall him being at. And yeah, there may have been difficult circumstances, but I'm not going to blame Harry Kuehl. I'm going to blame the person who employed him. When he's, you know, Dean Brennan was now the sixth person in charge of that club, albeit some of them temporarily, in 2021 alone. And we're only in September. Um, it's absolutely redonkulous to coin a, a word that I invented recently. Um, yeah, it's, it's an odd one. I mean, oh, I just, it's, it's staggering for me. It baffles me. What I can see, though, is with Dean Brennan already there as director of football and having recently managed at this level himself, I think he should hold the role until such time as they have a thorough good look at getting the right person for the job or Dean Brennan proves himself that he's the man for for the task. Um, can you believe it, boys? I don't know if, uh, Dickie, Chris, you've got any opinion from the outside looking in. That's, that, that's horrendous, isn't it, at Barnet? That many managers in one year. I think I've read something that says out of the last... 14 managers, 14 managers that Barnet have had, the average length of time they've been in the job is three and a half months, which is just, you know, just such a rapid turnover. Um, you know, they're desperately in need of stability. And, you know, maybe Dean Brennan in that role can bring that. Um, but there's a huge need for stability at Barnet. I don't think it was necessarily a huge surprise when we found out. Rob, I, I echo some of your thoughts about Harry Kuehl as well. I mean, uh, uh, he must have been quite aware of, of the club he was going into, but I guess it's a it's a case of, you know, you balance up the risk against the reward, don't you, as a manager? You know, if you could go in there and if you can make a success of it, that boosts his stock for getting a job elsewhere. But unfortunately, it's now another, dare I say, failure on Harry Kuehl's record. And, 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 and he's going to find it more and more difficult to, to, to get another opportunity. In, in, in fairness to Kuehl, he did, he did well at Crowley, didn't he? He, he, uh, he did, and that's, he got the Notts County job on the back of that, didn't he? Yeah, but that was a very stable club. That was a very different, uh, very different circumstances. It's a two-way thing, as, uh, you know, as, as you were saying, Rob. You, know, you, you need to be given the conditions and the, the backing to succeed. And if you're always looking over your shoulder after every defeat or every poor performance, then... Yeah, you, know, it's, it's, you need like anyone in any job. You need to feel secure, don't you, before you can you can start planning. You, you're not going to long term plan at Barnet, are you? Because you're not going to buy a house, are you? <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, yeah, and 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 you know what? I I'm seeking a bit of clarity here, and I don't know if we know this between us. But Bassey and Anderson, they came in, they did a fantastic job. Was it only ever a possibility that it'd be a holding job to the end of the season? Because they got an awful lot right. And they've gone. They've been allowed to leave for another change. Um, you know, Barnet fans, what do you think? Uh, we, we, we'd love one of you to perhaps uh, come on um, and uh, have a chat with us in the next week or so. Uh, so get in contact with us on Twitter and let us know what it looks like from Barnet fans' perspective. From the outside looking in, it doesn't look good. Of course, if you've not got social media, you can email us as well, nlfulltime at gmail.com. 
Dean Brennan, incidentally, did say that he was going to have a chat with the chairman and that they have received a lot of applicants, so it's a case of watch this space. But if he does get positive results, then I'm sure the job could well be his. We'll find out how they got on later on when they took on Weymouth. But let's look now at the top of the table, and it's Dagenham and Redbridge. And, and how many times did he say last year, oh, he's, uh, he's hanging on to his job down at Marne. I spoke to him last season, and he said, look, it's a building process. It's almost like... Last season's a holding season just to get everything right, ready to go for it this season. And and boy, they start the season well. They they absolutely battered Solihull. who started the season reasonably well as well, but it was five goals to one. They came from behind Dagenham. Paul McCallum also bagged a couple. And I loved Maro Valletti's goal as well. He, he steered a misdirected shot home with a header. And also Josh Walker, who's proved to be a big player for them as well. So big result for Dagenham. Huge and a terrific performance as well. Uh, I think Mick Payne on Twitter said it was a fantastic performance and Jeff Brazier uh, reporting into BT Sport uh, at the end of the game said it's probably the best football that he's seen in his four years of watching National League football. They had to come from behind as well. Uh, And yeah, Darren McMahon is probably got all his ducks in a row right now. And that's probably also why he only brought in a couple of players in the summer because He feels he's got the right balance and it's not just quality. You've got to have hard work. You've got to have the right attitude week in, week out in this league. Uh, And you've got to keep players on the pitch through fitness and through discipline. Uh, So far, so good for Darren McMahon. And uh, yeah, they sit top of the tree after seven or eight games everybody's played. Just on uh, just on that game, it'd be uh, I reckon Paul McCallum would be over the moon, wouldn't he, with with bagging a couple against, uh, against Solihull because... I think everyone expected him when he went to Solihull to just bang goals in for fun. And having said that, I looked at his record and he did score eight in 21 matches. So it's not that bad. I think it's just because when he went there, he was just scoring a goal a game, wasn't he? Before before he actually went there. So uh, I think yeah. he will be doubly happy. And I think also, Chris, and again, this isn't factual, but this is what I heard on the National League vague, great um, grapevine at the time, is that um, Solihull had invested heavily in their squad and he would have been one of the heavier investments, if you like, in terms of a wage. He came there on the back of being the top scorer in the league the season before uh, down at Eastleigh. Uh, and I think when they decided to rein things in a little bit, I think they had a word in his ear and said, find yourself a new club for next season because, uh, you know, we're not keeping you on. And I think it was probably as much for financial reason. And then obviously you don't know. We don't know. We don't, you know, we, we may know some of the people involved, some of the players, some of the managers, but you don't know, you know, had he had some difficulties settling in within the group or whatever as well. Quality player and quality will always rise through in the end. Uh, yeah, I think there was something of a change of style uh, at Solihull in the time he was there as well, because I think he was signed by Tim Flowers. Yeah, and I think Tim Flowers signed him and Callum Howe. Um, and it just looked as if that Solihull were just, they'd got that particular way of playing under Flowers, which wasn't pretty, but boy, was it effective. And they added two people who you just thought were going to fit into that really, really well. It didn't really click for them at the start of the season. Flowers ended up going, um, ultimately replaced by Jimmy Shan, I think was his replacement. And he went for a very, very different model. And all of a sudden, Paul McCallum's on the outside looking in, not getting any opportunities. And, and, you know, Dagenham's been a great move for him. Also up there in the table were Chesterfield. They were top at the start of the day. However, they had a very entertaining game on 
the, the in the late kickoff, which was on at BT Sport, a very dramatic finish. Kabongo Shamanga put Chesterfield 2-0 up. He's scored a double in that game, and that's nine goals in eight games for him. Armani Little got a goal back. It looked like it was only going to be a consolation two minutes to go. However, the goalkeeper went up, and we've, we've seen this film. We've seen the ending to this story before, haven't we, especially with Torquay. Tom Lapsley will look to claim it, even though Curtis Weston got the last touch from a long throw-in. And both managers, bizarrely enough, didn't seem happy afterwards. James Rowe, for obvious reasons, his team had let a 2-0 lead slip. And Gary Johnson just wasn't happy that they were 2-0 down in the first place and the intensity of the performance. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I made a comment in the WhatsApp group that Rowe would be absolutely fuming, conceding 2-0 up, 88 minutes gone. I think he had calmed himself down pretty well, actually, by the time he did his post-match interview. He looked quite unflustered and quite calm. He'll have probably also taken into account other results, which we'll look at. Um, and it didn't go everybody's way at the top of the National League uh, on Saturday. But um, there were, there's very little guarantees in National League football. There's an awful lot of surprises. But if we think about this based on our knowledge over the last couple of seasons, the two main things that happened in that game yesterday in the live TV game were the two things almost that you could guarantee. One, Kabongo Shimanga will be on the score sheet. And the other one that Torquay will score late goals. Uh, I mean, their record now in the last 12 calendar months for late goals must be phenomenal. It, it, it can't, I very much doubt if it's matched by anybody at any of the top five levels of football. What's that saying? Is it there's three certainties in life death taxes and Shimanga scoring? Death tax, yes, four death taxes, uh, Shimanga scoring and Torquay scoring in Gary time. That's that's more than a coincidence, though, isn't it, Rob? I wonder whether, but I wonder why. I wonder whether it's fitness or it's uh, it's some there's some tactics involved in that 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 means that they do it on such a regular basis. I don't know about the tactics, but a hundred percent fitness and a hundred percent mentality. It's mentality. I, I know I'm obsessed with this word now, but the more I've watched uh, professional football at this level, the more I'm convinced the majority of the players are of a certain standard of fitness. The majority of players have a certain technical ability and what separates the good from the not so good is their mentality, their ability to keep going, their ability to go, keep going, you know, when they're, when they're down. I mean, the thing is, if that was 1-0, it would be so much easier to understand. But it's 2-0. Chesterfield at home, a pretty com- accomplished performance. It's 2-0, 88 minutes. You, you almost think maybe Torquay didn't even think they were still in it until they got the first. But Armani certainly sprinted to get the yeah, and get back to halfway, didn't he? In front of over five thousand as well, so <laughs> that's even more impressive. You can also rely on Armani to provide a bit of bling, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I wondered whether Gary Johnson told him he was going to give away their post-match pizzas again, and then that's what sparked it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he had the pizza box hovering over the bin, didn't he? And they were like, "We better do something about it," but. <laughs> There's, there's one other factor in this as well, and uh, professionals don't like talking about it, but, you know, and Gary Johnson is a very good manager and a very good manager at this level. But do you also look at him sometimes and think, playoff, penalty, heartache aside, he, he's quite a lucky manager as well. No, he is. Yeah, and like you say, it's one of those, you can either be lucky scoring late on, but also it's a good knack to have, isn't it? But... Like I said, I don't think Torquay will do nowhere near as well as they did last year, but they'll be 
in and around the playoff places, won't they? Moving up to fourth place on Saturday in the National League is Boreham Wood. And that uh, uh, was a bounce-back win for them after losing their first game of the season at Solihull Moors the previous weekend. And uh, I'm glad to say that I'm joined now by uh, the winning goalscorer in that game, uh, Josh Reese, Welcome back to the podcast, Josh. Hi, Rob. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, good. Uh, another good, solid three points, uh, building on a good start to the season for you guys. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um... It was a real hard-fought game, actually. Credit to Yeovil. Um, obviously, being a man down quite early on, I thought they uh, really sort of came out. And if it wasn't for some last-ditch defending and some amazing saves from Nathan Ashford, could have probably not come away with the three points. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, we had obviously a, kind of a bad result in Sully Hole the week before. We needed to bounce back and, uh, yeah, showed a lot of character. So, looking at the goal, the winning goal came on the hour mark, Josh, and I think it was Kane Smith, wasn't it, uh, sending another delicious ball right into the heart of the penalty area. And it may or may not have found the net anyway, but uh, when you're arriving, as you do late on, right in front of the goal there, you can't take any chances. You had to stick it in, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, I said in the interview after the game, probably not the best goal I'll ever score, but... Uh, an important one at that and um, yeah just had to make sure really uh, just never know if defender on the line was going to was going to clear it but um, yeah took one off Kane Smith it was a great head on the back post from, uh, to be fair and yeah just with our the way we play we get lots of balls in the box it's kind of the anticipation trying to get something on it or get in the right place at the right time and um, yeah so far uh, so, so far so good in that aspect so Three, three goals now, so something to build on. You do like to score a goal, of course, in the National League. You had that terrific season with Bromley a few years back, and I think it was 13. I know that you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Was it 13 at all the shot last year? I think, yeah, in all competitions, it was 13, yeah. Yeah, in all competitions. Um, and uh, I remember talking to you around about this time uh, last season with Aldershot and uh, you were playing a little bit of a deeper role in midfield weren't you you got a little released forward a bit more as the season progressed on is it a similar role that you're playing in the team at Boreham Wood or have you got that licence to get forward whenever there's an opportunity uh, I think I've been a lot further forward uh, this year we've got good sort of stock in midfield really um, the likes of Mark Ricketts, Frankie Raymond, uh, Gus Mafuta, like real good players. And I think the managers have given me kind of a license to get more forward and support the front two um, more often. But uh, it's by no means, obviously, just staying up there is obviously a different sort of role, but still sort of a lot of hard work. And that's kind of the basic principles of our, our team to release. Everyone's sort of working hard for each other. and. Like I said, I'm lucky enough to be in a team with a lot of quality, uh, especially in wide areas with the wing-backs. And, yeah, we can feed on load of, load of crosses, good delivery. So, uh, yeah, really enjoying it at the moment. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at the start of the season, well, just before the start of the season, you lost Kabongo Shimanga to Chesterfield, uh, but began the season very strongly and solidly. I think you went longer than any other team without conceding a goal and you were always nicking the one or the two to get the points. But uh, from the minute you started conceding a few, Josh, you've got, the team started scoring a few more as well, uh, the majority of games. It's funny that in football, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think first, uh, 
three to four games we looked really really solid didn't ever really look like conceding to be honest and yes we had a couple of games we had a few goals and we've kind of addressed that and it was it's more of a team thing it's not really a, a defense and attack i think we we defend and we attack as a as an 11 to be honest and um yes we, i think we found we've found that we're creating a lot of opportunities now and it's just about getting it right at both ends in this league because uh, it's a bit of a cliche but it's definitely from when I've played in it it's, both boxes are key and obviously lo- losing cabs was was massive um, he's an elite striker at this level obviously it's clear at the moment he's already close to double figures um, early on in the season uh, but with credit to the gaffer really to be honest he's recruited well he's managed to find a way of us playing where we're maybe not reliant on that one striker and he's said the likes of Scotty Bowden who's very astute at this level and Marshy and everyone seems to chip in at the moment I know Mendy scored last week um, at Solihull so I'd say it's more of a rounded um, effort from the team to get goals and also at the same time uh, stop them going in Well it's brilliant to uh Catch up with you, Josh, and see you uh, settling in well, as I think most of us thought you probably would at Boreham keeping up uh, the form that you hit uh, last season. And, uh, yeah, come and join us again on the podcast later in the season. Pleasure, Rob. Good to speak to you. That was Josh Reese, and he, he was back amongst the goals again, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he had a quiet but assured start at Boreham He certainly had a quiet game, uh, a couple of games in against uh, his old uh, opposition in Aldershot. But he's found his uh, shooting boots now. Um, and there's no better midfielder for me arriving at the key moment in the right place in the box um, to apply the finish. Uh, I don't think there's anybody better at it from midfield in the National League than Josh Rees. Grinsby, they missed a chance to move up the table. And I know, Rob, you always say you value a point away from home. Paul Hurst, on reflection, probably will say, well, away from home, so we at least we didn't lose. But they'll be, they'll be disappointed that they didn't end up claiming all three points. But great header from Kane Ferdinand towards the end to rescue a point for Maidenhead. Yeah, and, and funnily enough, just talking about Josh Reese's ability to run, Kane Ferdinand as well from midfield, uh, particularly in the air, is an asset. He always got himself six, seven, eight, nine goals a season when he was at uh, Woking. Um, and yeah, not a bad point. A f- bit frustrating, perhaps, for Grimsby. Uh, but Maidenhead are nobody's fools, are they? And uh, they're capable on their day of winning games like that. So uh, Paul Hurst will take the point and look at the other results at the top of the table. And uh, he won't feel too bad about that at all. It's difficult to assess Grimsby, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 they're doing better at the minute than I thought they would do. I thought they'd kind of have a sluggish start. But they've been... They've been pretty solid. They've had some dramatic games, haven't they, as well, Chris, so far. But I think Paul Hurst will be hoping for a bit of a, a more comfortable ride, won't he? Luke, I think they've been outstanding. I think they've been really good since they've, since they've come into the, the division. I mean, we know that teams struggle, clubs struggle when they come into the, the National League, especially when they haven't been in it for a while, as like Grimsby. Um, but they seem to have da- adapted straight away. Um, at first, they were, they were difficult to score against. Uh, and then they just started scoring hatfuls of goals. So yeah, the, whilst they'll be disappointed in in the draw, and especially after after being ahead, I don't think they'll be I don't think they'll be too unhappy with the the way the start's gone. I mean, that's the first time they haven't won in five games, so <laughs> not bad. <laughs> Absolutely, a team who 
were unbeaten up until Saturday's results were Notts County and, and Dickey. A bit of a coupon buster in the end of play. You know well, Marcus Denanga got the winning goal after great work by Ryan Colcuff. And that's just a great result for Odgham coming off the back of a COVID-enforced break. Yeah, it is. I think we, we put a little poll out on the, on our Twitter and, and asked which of the unbeaten teams had their record most at risk going into um, the, the weekend's fixtures. And Notts County was the one that, that, that came out as, as as being the one being in the most danger. And, and that's how it's proved in the end. Uh, yeah, I and mean, that's a terrific result for Altrincham as well, isn't it? You know, that, that does a huge amount for their confidence. Um, spoken again about Marcus Denanger as a player and, and that he needs to be playing and he needs to be scoring and his confidence will grow and um, yeah Altrincham sitting halfway in the t- up in the table I think Phil Parkinson will be pretty satisfied with, with that Is that a more surprising uh, result just Chris because it's uh, normally teams when they've had a COVID enforced break struggle to get back into the groove don't they? Um, I don't think any result when Altrincham win at home is is that surprising to be honest because they can do it to anyone. They've done it over the last few seasons to to teams, um, and we know because we you know we see them quite often. We're in that part of the world that, that they they can um, they can beat anyone at home. I watched um, Ian Birchnell's, um interview at the end of this game, and he was bemoaning the lack of ruthlessness in the final third. He said we had a lot of chances. There was a lot of times we were trying to sort of pass the ball too much and things like that. We need to get more ruthless. Uh, and that was his problem. But then he he also said, you know, the run beaten in, I think, seven before that. So as, you know, as Dickie was saying, again, as we were just talking about Grimsby, I don't think they'll be that disappointed. Just two unbeaten sides left now, isn't there, in the National League, Chesterfield and and Grimsby, and and they occupy two of the top three spaces. It's a fantastic achievement for any team in this division where you've got to be on your game every week, otherwise you could easily slip up, I think, uh, for both of those teams to have uh, completed uh, eight games without defeat is is superb and bodes well for them, and particularly, I think, for Grimsby, um, because they've had quite a lot of player upheaval, um, and they've obviously had to deal with the... uh, relegation from the EFL. So, uh, yeah, Notts County, no shame in losing their first game, eight games in. So the big game of the day, the game with most interest as well, was Stockport against Wrexham, both sides, who have spent well in the summer, ambitious. It's gone better for Wrexham than it has for Stockport. But ultimately, Chris, a massive win for Stockport, coming from behind. Paddy Madden, first goal of the season, also the first goal of the season, well, for Ryan Rydell after coming in from Fleetwood in the summer. And I know Phil Parkinson wasn't happy with how his side gave up the lead in the end. Yeah, I can't convey how big a game this was for, for Stockport County yesterday. Coming off you know, disappointing 3-0 loss last week at Halifax. There's been some real poor performances so far this season. And this was a biggie because obviously Wrexham were coming to town. You know, it's a big game anyway with the money that they've been spending with all the, the sort of buzz around them as well. And it was such good fun to be at the game yesterday. I know we talk as as sort of journalists and, and media, but, you know, walking up to the grounds of buzz around Edgeley and, you know, there's, that, there's probably a thousand Wrexham fans singing before the start of the game. The Cheadlelands responding with their own songs and stuff like that. It felt like a real big game. And it was a huge game because when Paul Mullins scored after 52 seconds with a ball that was just played by Fraser Lainton right down the centre of the pitch, 
Uh, Mullins supplied a fantastic finish and them Wrexham fans went absolutely crazy. And I know that a lot of Stockport County fans were looking at each other thinking, oh my God, we've gone a goal down. We don't normally respond that well to that. What was the atmosphere, Chris, when that goal went in? In, uh, well, actually, in the home what end? I, uh, what I will say is the, the county fans really stuck by them uh, yesterday. Um, you, couldn't, you couldn't hear many of them, to be honest, because the Wrexham fans were so noisy. And the game had actually was delayed for a couple of minutes because there was a you know they jumped on the pitch and there was a few things going on behind the goal and stuff like that. But I, by and large, yeah, I, county fans um, stuck with the team. There's a little bit of booing at, uh, at half time, but apart from that, they, they really stuck by him. Um, they came out in the second half like a house on fire. And I've got to say, Ben Whitfield had his best performance so far in a Stockport County shirt. He was immense, and I saw someone tweet he reminded them of Danny Lloyd yesterday and he really did he played that role he was in his right position he hasn't always been in that position he was playing on the left of a front three yesterday and he was everywhere he's buzzing round and he 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 was probably the catalyst to um to to county winning and after the game Chris caught up with a relieved Stockport County manager Simon Rusk so thanks for joining us Simon can you sum up your feelings about that? Come from behind victory, must be must be delighted. Yeah, uh, really pleased for the players today. Um, I think the fashion, the way we went behind, you know, made it difficult. Made it difficult for them probably emotionally, you know, because we are, you know, we know we've not been where we want to be. And um, I thought the character was brilliant today. Um, and at times, particularly more so in the second half, you know, we looked we looked like a really positive front foot team. And uh, just pleased for the players. I've just heard you say, talking about a catalyst, that this could be a catalyst for the rest of the season, this game. It was a big one, wasn't it, against a, another well, another team who will be challenging? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think last year I, I spoke about the importance of, you know, we didn't quite manage to beat the teams up there. Uh, and yeah. it was something I wanted to turn the screw on this year. So I think to, one, come from behind, and two, against the fashion of the opposition was a, you know, real, real, um, real pleasing thing to see. And hopefully that can be a springboard for us. This sometimes things that journalists say and managers don't say, but was it good the, came, the goal for them came so early because it gave you time to, to build a build back? Clichés. Uh, <laughs> it's a, bottom line is you've got to continually deal with what's happening within the game. Go one nil up, go one nil down. Um, first minute, 89th minute, you've always got to react to it. Uh, and your professionalism has to come in. I thought we were professional today. There was nearly 8,000 here today. A word for the word for the fans? Just, yeah, you know, thanks for the support. Thanks for sticking with the players. Um, and you know, I hope they enjoy their evening. And from here, next week you've got to follow this up now. So, how do you prepare for the next game? Same as we prepared for all of them. We do our best. We set up the way we can. Um, we, we do need some bodies back, and uh, we do need to support the squad in that way. Um, so, we go again. That's what you do. You know, you dust yourself down when it's not so good, and you calm yourself down when it's been really good. That's what we'll do again. Cheers, Simon. And that was Simon Rusk and Rob. Uh, massive three points, wasn't it, as Chris said? Yeah, huge. Come from behind. Took a lot of pressure off him. But uh, I'm interested in the tone of his post-match chat there with Chris. And uh, he, he sounded a little bit kind of annoyed uh, to me. Um, it, you know, he, Chris said, what, what about the fans? And he said, you know, thank you for continuing to support the players. And I thought that was the most positive thing, perhaps, he could say in the circumstances because I think he's feeling hurt that from uh, uh, it may be a minority, I don't know, but a vociferous part of the support base at Stockport County have been calling for him to go already. And so he didn't thank them for backing him. He thanked them for backing the players. Um, 
And uh, I just thought that was the sort of uh, win that you can't come out and say it, but as a manager, he's almost going, uh, you know, I told you so. I told you it'd be all right. You just need to be more patient. A vocal two fingers almost. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear Chris's opinion on Rusk's general mood uh, and his tone in that post-match interview. No, I don't think... I, I, I don't think so. Um, I think in the in the club interview, he was he he spoke about the fans, you know, sticking with him. I think I can't remember the exact nuance of it, but I don't think that was a. I don't think he said that. He thought about that and and planned it. I think he was just saying whatever. So so I shut <laughs> up and get off. <laughs> Fair enough, Chris. You mentioned the atmosphere. I mean, there was. Just over 8,000 there. I mean, that's a great advert for National League football, isn't it? I think Wrexham had about 1,500 tickets in the end. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was. De- it didn't feel like a National League game. The uh, 7-7-7-1 there was. If only there was another six people, we could have had 7-7-7-7. <laughs> but uh, the atmosphere was extraordinary. And I think that contributed to the game. And I think it will be... That could be a turning point in Stockport County season, I think, because it was such a big game. And to come from behind in the nature that they did, um, with Ryan Rydell scoring a goal after two minutes, was uh, was exceptional. And also, is that the first home win this season for them as well? Yeah. 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 First home win. Because like uh, you said, they've been doing okay away from home, Stockport. It's getting that win at Edgewood Park in front of the fans where it has been quite nervous. So, yeah, like you say, it's, it's probably... This could be a lift-off now, couldn't it, like you say? Yeah, I think I think it really will. So let's move on to the bottom of the table. And Rob, we talked about Mark Mosley. It was his first game in charge against High Fine. Halifax are having a fantastic season as well. Yeah, I think two, two, two separate comments here. Let's deal with Halifax first. Very impressed with them. Really, really bright on the ball. Kept the ball really well. Kind of controlled the game without making too many chances. Uh, they only tested Mitch Walker once, and unfortunately for, for Mitch, he was beaten by a really smart finish from Billy Waters, who we've waxed lyrical about on just about every podcast so far this season. Uh, a seventh goal for him, and that's what separated the sides at the end of the day. For Aldershot, um, mixed opinions on the performance. There was a lot more intensity about it. Um, the crowd were very much engaged with it. They urged them on right to the very end. They never gave up. But what is evident to us watching and what is evident, I'm sure, to Mark Mosley having watched them uh, now for 90 minutes is that they're not lacking in togetherness. They're not lacking in effort, but they are lacking in quality. Um, and uh, they weren't able to create enough pressure or create enough chances on Saturday um, they probably did five or six, I mean, three free kicks around the edge of the box. I don't know about you guys, but I always think if you get three free kicks around the edge of the box, and I'm talking, you know, sort of 22, 23 yards, just right of centre, just left of centre, you're really hoping that someone's going to, you know, stick one of those in. So um, they kept Halifax down to very few chances and they were in the game right to the very end. So ultimately, new manager, but a similar story for Aldershot, losing by... Just the one goal, not able to find the quality they needed. And afterwards, Mark Mosley was quite philosophical about it. He was encouraged by a lot of things. But equally, he said, we've pushed very, very hard. Um, 
to get new messages across to the players. And I totally understand if there's a bit of a lack of clarity, but we didn't want to waste a minute. We didn't want to waste a game before starting the process of uh, how we want to play, how we can stamp our own DNA on it. Could you see any difference, Rob? Could you see any sort of Mark Mosley input into the performance? A little bit in the first 20, 25 minutes, actually. Um, I saw a, a couple of players who've been kind of steady and workmanlike so far this season um, do things a little bit flary, yeah, in the Mark Molesley way. I think he, I think, and I don't know this, but I think he encouraged them to go out there and express themselves, to try stuff, you know, um, particularly in the final third. Those little moments were bright. They were good to watch. They didn't, unfortunately, result in any goals. But that was probably the one difference. And in fairness to Danny Searle, Aldershot kept going right to the very end. They huffed and puffed just as they've done under Danny Searle. They did exactly the same uh, under under Mosley. And I think we have to be realistic that it's going to take a little bit of time for uh, Mosley to, to get his new ideas across. And you, you could look at it another way and say, well... Aldershot might have benefited from a little man, new manager bounce. The, the truth is that those players were given their all for Danny Searle as well. And, and there wasn't a huge difference yesterday. And Dickie Crisp, we've got to take our hats off to Pete Wilde again. I mean, what a fantastic job he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Pete Wilde is, you know, defying expectations again. Um, I, I think it, playoffs, is it a couple of seasons running now with them when... You know, there certainly wasn't that kind of expectation upon them and he's got them up there competing once more. I think getting Matt Warburton in looks like a, a really excellent piece of business. You know, we, we know what he did um, at, at Stockport County a few seasons back and, and Billy Waters is, you know, look, looks a find as well. So, yeah, I don't know how Pete Wilde does it, but he just seems to manage to keep on replacing, you know, those players that move on from Halifax and, and, and they just keep on rolling on. And then not. I was going to say, sorry, Chris. I was going to say, Matty Warburton, a player you know really well and have seen. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's a cracking player, and he he came to life last week, didn't he, against Stockport County, which I think was inevitable. Um, but yeah, he, he's a great player. He, he's good at dead balls. He, he just sort of buzzes around. He's best at number ten, I think. Um, that's that's his best position. But when he's got Waters in front of him, that's you know that's that's perfect, isn't it? Um, and Pete Wilde, the other thing we've got to say, he's done the NL full-time double in, in two weekends. <laughs> he certainly has. And, and, and they have to play football, don't they? If your two most forward players are Billy Waters and Matty Warburton, you know, you have to play your way up the pitch. And they did it at so much bright passes, uh, sorry, bright passages of play for them yesterday. They, that, as I say, they impressed me without creating too much, but... Uh, they're a difficult side to get the ball off and they're in really good nick at the moment. I'm going to look now at your, all the shots. Rivals, Woking, they lost 3-2 at Eastleigh. Tavon Campbell twice had Woking ahead. Tom Whelan scored two penalties to ultimately win the game. His second penalty was an absolute toll bunger. I loved it. He gave the goalkeeper absolutely no chance. What did interest me was Alan Dowson's comments leading up to the game. who called his players selfish, his unvaccinated players. He said he's... Co- cost the club thousands due to postponements and he revealed in hindsight he would not have signed unvaccinated players and thinks there should be an industry ruling and he said that they're off for 10 days and yet they still want pain I think there should be a rule in football that if they want their job they shouldn't play for away games in the future those who haven't been vaccinated will have to make their own way to games they're not going to be allowed on the coach 
They'll be a group by themselves. If they're going to be selfish in their own little world, they can do their own thing. What choice have I got? Really, really strong comments there from Alan Dowson. And it's something I've thought about because you look at last season, clubs were playing virtually behind closed doors all season. They need the money. And it's almost like clubs have gone, well, it's inevitable we're going to get a COVID stoppage at some point. But they're still recovering from last season. They still need that financial hit. Alan Dowson mentioned that they're playing Chesterfield this coming Tuesday. They should have played them like a week last Saturday. Chesterfield would have brought down a thousand extra money in the coffers. Now they'll probably only get about two, three hundred fans. And I don't know what your take on it is, guys, about what Alan Dowson has said. Well, first and foremost, uh, Alan Dowson in calling out his players' shock. I mean, to be fair, he does it an awful lot, way more than any other manager. This is a slightly different rant, though, and we do have to debate this in all fairness. Um, from a, a sort of HR point of view, from a legality point of view, you can't make people take the vaccination, can you? You can't. Um, you, you Absolutely. Would think- we don't know the medical, like you say, the medical reasoning behind it or anything like that. And you've also got employment rights. So like, he has got to be careful, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. But you would like to think that a professional football club where you're in something together that maybe the players would take a unanimous stance, but maybe they've not been able to reach agreement on that. I think this one's going to come up again and again, particularly when we get these uh, postponements, you know, but uh, not just the financial impact of it, but for Dows, you know, we've had an unusual start to this season and there hasn't been too many midweek fixtures. Normally we go crashing in Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, and every manager would love, players might tell you different, but every manager would love a full week to prepare for each fixture. Already with that gap, Dowson's got to start looking at Saturday, Tuesdays and more than he would have done otherwise. And, you know, for a club the size of Woking with the resources they've got, their first year as a full-time club, um, yeah, they do have a relatively large playing squad, but he wouldn't have wanted that. And, uh, you know, especially when you're taking on teams like Chesterfield, you don't want to be giving a team like Chesterfield an advantage like that because, um, you know, they're already good enough as it is. Dickie, I could see you dying to come in on this. No, I mean, it's it's a really difficult situation for him, isn't it? You know, I can see from his his perspective as the employer, really, you know, that 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 that, that, it, that it's a struggle for him. But, but, you know, just how do you make players have a vaccination if they are ideologically opposed to it or you know if there's health reasons if it goes you know their their faith might come into it in some cases i mean there's there's just all manner of um you know difficulties in that situation but you know that we've had games called off again this weekend because of you know a a single covid positive covid test um you know as we'll find out you know ruled out one of the games in the national league north yesterday and Teams are having to rearrange. Teams are having to play in midweek. Um, so I can understand his frustration. Um, it, 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 it's a difficult situation for him. But um, I guess, once again, I suppose it's just football as a microcosm of wider society, isn't it? You know, we've got that going on outside of, you know, football. It, it, inside football's not going to be any different. Equally, Chris, I think the argument is, is, is at Premier League level, you've got the TV money that can balance that off as well. And... A lot of clubs at this level, especially in the National League, rely on gate receipts, don't they? And I think that that's probably the frustration coming out in Alan Dowson in that you may be paying a player at a, a decent wage at National League level, but you've got to fund it by people coming in through the gate. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, like the other guys, it, there's all those elements, isn't there? There's 
there's the fixture pile-up element, there's the financial element. So, like the other guys, I, I can understand his frustration, but this is bigger than National League football. You know, this goes to all stretches to all society. You know, you can't make uh, hospital workers, I don't think, have vaccines. So, I don't think we're going to get down to uh, <laughs> looking at, at, at National League uh, National League football. Um, one thing I will say is it was interesting when... I'm doing my weekly hunt for interviews, watching what the managers said after matches. It was interesting that Ian Dyer was out after the game <laughs> talking about the actual football uh, that happened yesterday. Um, and the actual on the actual football, he said, you know, we need to make improvements and do it very quickly. So maybe they'll be getting a few vaccinated players in next week. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Another man who spoke after the game and said he felt under pressure was Ian Culverhouse. They lost 1-0 at home to Wilson. Another good result for Wilson. The only goal the game from, came from Charlie Cooper, a former Woking player, and they had Ira Jackson sent off, but in the end they hung on. And Really interesting comments out from Ian Culverhouse, isn't it, Rob? Because they've gone full-time, they've kind of gone more hybrid and full-time this year, so the pressure is on them a little bit. They aren't just little plucky Kings Lynn now, are they? No, but I, I still think they would have been, uh, you know, in a group of six or seven teams that the majority of people would have said that, that they might make up the bottom six or seven. Um, you know, he's a great coach. He's got some great contacts. It's a different model for them. And their success for Kings Lynn this season probably will be having made the step to full-time retaining their National League status. I think you'll get it right over the course of the season. Um, you could argue that was one of the matches between the, you know, two of those six or seven clubs yesterday. It was a crucial win for Wealdstone, for whom I've seen now and who a lot of people have said they don't think uh, will struggle that badly in the National League, that they'll be comfortable this season. Ironic, wasn't it, as uh, Woking went down, two of their players from last season scored key goals, Ferdinand and Cooper, on Saturday. Uh, and that would have just hurt, I'm sure, uh, those of Woking faithful uh, a little bit more. But uh, Dallas will be back and uh, I'm sure so too will Ian Culverhouse with a win when we least expect it. Yeah, just, just on Kings Lynn, I think you, your second season is always a really interesting one. Now, I know it wasn't really a, a proper season. It was a strange strange one last time and everything. But you come up and you retain a lot of the squad that got you promoted. So you go through this sort of quick turnaround where a lot of those guys aren't good enough to be playing in the division then you get a lot of new guys in and stuff like that so I think you see this in quite a lot of clubs that that come up and, and get promoted and then there's almost like a early second season we need to find our feet kind of thing and we need to we need to grow into who we are now um, sort of thing whereas the first season it's all like come on we've got you know we've get the boys out who did it last season and we'll put a few additions in and we'll try and play the same way. But there's a, there's a almost kind of a recognising where you are and, and now having to build in that, in that skin. I think momentum can carry you a long way, can't it, Chris? It's, it's that kind of thing. I just had a quick look through the Kingsland team from yesterday. I think there's only Michael Clunan in there that I recognise from their, um, their team that won National League North. You know, only... 18 months or so ago. So they have had a big turnover. Some of that will be to do with, you know, play, basically finding out that players were, were, were at the level, at the top of their level in National League North and weren't quite ready, you know, 
fit for National League football. Some of it will be to do the, the change in status and, and some of them having, you know, work that they, they don't want to give up. You know, they wanted to continue playing part-time. So it, it's a big transition for them. I mean, they, they, they've still got Ian Culverhouse at the helm. You know, they, they haven't been tempted to, um, you know, dispense with his services, which uh, would, would be ludicrous really to be perfectly honest with what he's he's achieved for the football club um it, i see him being in situ for quite a while but it, yeah he's got a new challenge on his hands now and dicky quickly on wheelstone i know you saw them at knots camp we were really impressed and was really impressed with stuart maynard as well yeah i was yeah stuart maynard spoke very well at the end of the game when i when i met him there and 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 was very clear about how he wanted to to, to play football and how and, and how they were going to go about it. I mean, just having a look, I think Wheelston up to 13th now, and that Notts County game where I saw them lose 3-2, and, and they could have got something out of that, is their only defeat in their last six. So, yeah, Wheelston going along quite nicely, thank you. Quickly then, two more games to wrap up the National League. Uh, Dover, they lost 1-0 in a Kent Derby to Bromley. By all accounts, it seemed quite a comfortable victory for Bromley. Corey Whiteley's goal gave Bromley the spoils in that game. And shock horror, Michael Cheek actually missed a penalty. What is going on? He is human after all. Dover still not scored at home either and they're really struggling down at the bottom. And they dedicated that win as well to a long-time Bromley fan. Uh, one of the Bromley boys on Twitter, isn't he? Yes, uh, Dave Roberts, the author, he said um, uh, had some um, very um, upsetting health news recently. I won't say any more than that. Um, but really, really nice touch for, from Bromley to dedicate that victory to Dave. And I, I know he saw that and was was hugely touched by it. Um, not Things not going great for Dover at the moment. Uh, they had a nil-nil draw with Solihull in midweek as well. So they're, they're still, they're the only winless side in the division now. Uh, and they really, they've got to start getting some Ws against their name soon or, or you know, that, that, that 12-point deduction is almost not going to going to enter into it. They're, they're, they're going to be stuck at the foot and they're going to be adrift. It'll be Dover and out, won't it, soon? So, <laughs> there we go. And, uh, of course, yeah. we mentioned Dean Benning before. He took charge of Barnett's game against Weymouth. Really, really good win in the end for Barnett and a couple of substitutions that he made after Mitch Brundle, Mitch Brundle got the opener. Brandon Goodship got his first goal of the season. Adam Marriott and Ben Richards, Everton, and they both bagged to give Barnett their first win of the season. And the thing about Dean Brennan is quickly, he's quite a he's quite a likeable character, he's a very positive character as well. And he'll have gone in that dressing room and really lifted it, won't he, Rob? Yeah, and I think he personally would have enjoyed it. It would have been frustrating for him watching the start of the season under Kuehl. And uh, he said he wanted a bit of continuity. I think it certainly makes sense whether he has the job or not that they, uh, they they take seriously the other applications and take their time. But uh, yeah, he'll have loved it. He's a football man. Um, he will have missed some aspects of being at the coalface, being in the dressing room um, as the main man, as the manager. And uh, looks like he enjoyed that. And uh, managers will tell you they live and die by their uh, substitutions at times. And uh, sometimes it's brilliant and inspired. And sometimes they get very lucky. But uh, yeah, Marriott, you kind of, I've been expecting, uh, uh, you know, hoping for more from from Marriott, but obviously he's been around a, a few clubs now. He left Kings Lynn, went to Eastleigh, didn't he? And and now he's at Barnet. And you do feel if he gets a run of games, he is one of the more natural goal scorers that uh, should and possibly could, you know, fire the goals that that, that might uh, steer Barnet to safety. So we're going to move on and look at the National League South now. And in the National League South, there was a couple of managerial casualties as well during the week. 
Steve Lovell and Tristan Lewis were given their marching orders by Welling after an FA Cup defeat. And also Lee Bircham at Hemel Hempstead. He said he was frustrated he never got to pick his best side. Mark Jones, the former Oxford City manager, took over and he suffered a defeat in his first game against Ware. Oh, that's not a question. That's where in Hertfordshire. <laughs> <laughs> but they did secure the first win of the season at Billericay, despite a late fight back from the home side. And also, Welling, they, as I mentioned, they dispensed their managerial duo. And Mark Goldberg, the owner, he took the reins for the Kent Derby against Darford. It's fair to say it didn't go well. They lost 6-0 at home. And it, it did make me smile. Joe Welling's Twitter at the end of the game said, it's over, thankfully. <laughs> And uh, a, a really good win for Steve King's side, but a, a lot of chaos going on at Welling, it seems. Yeah, a, a time of, of change and transition there. And Steve King's Dartford, not really the team you want coming in at that time. They'll be grateful it's out of the way. And uh, fair play to Steve King and Dartford. He really does know what he's doing at that level. I think he's absolutely hell-bent on uh, you know, winning that league this year. And he's well on track to do so. I think uh, although we are only seven games in in the National League South. They've already got a two-point lead over second place, an eight-point lead over third. So, terrific start for Dartford. The word you'd use is om- ominous, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It is ominous. And the result of the day in the National League South goes to Tunbridge Angels, uh, who've beaten uh, Mark White's Dorking 3-1. Um, bearing in mind as well, Rob, Tunbridge got absolutely battered in the FA Cup last week, didn't he, as well? Yeah, they really did respond very well. They took the lead after 20 minutes and uh, Dorking got level through uh, Callum Keeley, but further goals from Parkinson and Olatade, um, you know, secured the points for, for, for Tunbridge. And, uh, you know, I think we've already said, most of us have said that we fancied it'd be a difficult second season for Tunbridge. Well, guess what? They're sat 12th, two points outside the playoffs after eight, uh, six, just six games as well. Uh, two wins, two draws and two two defeats and if they keep going anywhere near that they'll be absolutely fine this season it just, shows, Mark, it just shows what we know doesn't it <laughs> yeah no I mean we're not close enough to know exactly what it is uh, that's happening at Dorking Mark White was very happy with the squad he kept from last season he kept the vast majority of his players didn't he and he added a few more he was happy with it uh, he couldn't wait to get going with a, with a similar squad but they do seem to be suffering uh, is it complacency? Is it expectation? Are they big time tossers, as uh, as the manager described them after the very first defeat? Um, not the most complimentary words, of course, and they will have been used, I'm sure, to get a reaction. But uh, here we are, a few weeks later, and that reaction still hasn't really happened, has it? Um, where do they sit? Thirteenth, one place below. Uh, Tunbridge and of course it's still early on and they're only two points outside the playoffs so there's time for for Dorking and for Mark White to get it right and uh, he'll he'll definitely be focused on the task in hand. Yeah and two teams who have been heavily fancied as well along with Dartford and Dorking haven't Waterlooville and Maidstone and both had differing fortunes in the end haven't Waterlooville lost 1-0 at St Albans but Maidstone by all accounts a very comfortable win at Bath City. Yeah 3-0 two goals for uh, Juan Luque or Joan Luque depending on how you pronounce it Juan. Joan, but it's definitely Luque anyway and uh, you know I, I called a game uh, for BBC Surrey 
uh, last season when Aldershot didn't have a game and, and, I, and I watched Maidstone against Dorking and uh, uh, Luke was outstanding that day. He then went on loan, didn't he, to a National League club who escaped me at the moment. Sorry, I don't know if anyone else remembers it. Um, but he's back at Maidstone now and doing bits. And I think at that level, he's a really, really uh, competent player. Yeah, for having a Waterlooville, it's just not quite happening for Paul Doswell at the minute, is it? Yeah, it's been a mixed start for having a Waterlooville. Um, they're not messing around with any draws, are they? They've won three and they've lost three. Uh, but Doswell's long in the tooth. He'll, he'll know what's working well and what isn't. And uh, I'm sure they'll be very much uh, a part of the uh, front runners this season. Luke Ed, uh, he was on loan at Weymouth last year. That's it. I remember seeing him, uh, uh, as I say, on that game that I covered and then uh, against Aldershot a little bit later in the in the season. But uh, going well for them, yeah. And, and, and Maidstone would be really pleased. You know, we all thought they'd be way up there last season. They slightly underachieved. Obviously, it didn't get finished anyway. But uh, terrific start to them. And one of just two unbeaten sides in the National League South and they sit in the top two positions. No surprise, of course, that the other one is Steve King's Dartford. Yeah, it's Kent Kent football ruling the roost at the minute. There was a couple of uh, six nils in the National League South, as I say, we've already mentioned the Dartford one, but Eastbourne Borough, they put six past Braintree. You've had a decent start to the season and uh, that's a massive win over Danny Blow's side. Yeah, it was. Uh, Charlie Walker still there, banging in the first goal. And uh, the evergreen quilt, uh, Chris Welpdale, um, uh, amongst the goal scorers, a double for Dom- Dominic Hutchison. Really, really good win for Eastbourne, who uh, continue to, uh, uh, you know, upset the apple cart at that level. I think we should mention, of course, Dulwich Hamlet as well, who've kind of mm. come out of nowhere after a relatively... Um, you know, unspectacular start to the season. They're on a great little run now and they've won 2-0 at Chelmsford. They've gone third in the table. Goals from Cade Taylor and Giovanni McGregor. Um, and, and, and you know, when I went to Dulwich Hamlet two seasons ago and I went to Champion Hill, really because I was like, who is this club? You know, I heard all this, all about this, you know, losing Champion Hill and then getting back there. And you go along to it and it's like, it was quite freaky. It was like, I'd never been there before. I'm like, this is a way bigger club than anything like I realised. They're getting crowds of 3,000. And I remember thinking at the time, surely it's going to only be a season or two before they take their rightful place in the National League. Hasn't really happened. But this season, they've given themselves a, a, a right good chance with a start. Seven, uh, 11 points uh, from their six games so far. And if they keep up the best part of two points a season, they'll be there at the end of the season as well. Interesting as well, Dickie, you pointed us towards an article that it might not be beneficial for Dulwich Hamlet to go up. No, um, I think they'd been um, consulted as part of the, the fan-led review of football that's going on. And, and the, the, the proposal that's out there about fans being able to uh, drink alcohol in their seats and the fact that they were suggesting that that should be trialled at uh, national league level and possibly in the lower levels of the AFL. Dulwich gave evidence and said that a large part of the money they made on match days was precisely that was 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 being able to drink um and with the, the rules as they stood they said it wouldn't pay them 
to to get promoted to the National League because they wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Their fans wouldn't be able to stand and, and have a drink the way they do at Champion Hill in the moment. Um, and, and, and so economically, it, 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 they wouldn't be able to get promoted. So a really interesting perspective on that. We think, well, I'm, I'm fairly sure Dulwich Hamlet promote quite a big uh, student attendance as well. I think I think they that they have quite a lot of, of fans from from um, roundabout who are students, and so that appeals to them as well. But yeah, really interesting perspective that that was offered. So yeah, Chippenham, good win for them at Concord. They've had a good start to the season, and uh, they're going really well, aren't they? Chippenham as well. They're chipping away, well, it's fair to say. Yeah, they are, and they nipped ahead of Concord yesterday. Two of the surprise teams, if you like, in the top seven. We talked about Concord quite a bit this season, haven't we, Al? Really, with the chairman gone and the manager gone, it might be a season of struggle. But uh, even with that defeat, they sit uh, fifth in 11 points, the same points as uh, Chippenham. But in that battle between the two of them and who might stay the course, the evidence would appear to suggest, on the back of yesterday anyway, that uh, Chippenham might be well-placed. Marlon Jackson, he's been playing for some time, hasn't he? Uh, former order shop striker amongst many other clubs, the Bristol clubs, uh, and Ross Stern, someone else who's uh, been around a long time from the penalty spot amongst the scorers for Chippenham, who uh, continue to do well in the National League South. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to Tom on over the next couple of weeks as well, who's watching National League South football uh, every week uh, to give us a little bit more in-depth opinion on some of these uh, unfancied sides that are doing well like Concord, Chippenham and Eastport. There were two games left in the National League South and it's Hungerford 1, Slough 1. And as you mentioned, Tom's Hampton and Richmond Borough, they drew 1-1 at Oxford City. And I'm guessing none of those four teams will be too happy with a 1-1 try in the end. Or will they be satisfied, do you think? Well, for Hampton and Richmond, um, it's away from home. It's a point on the road, so they won't underestimate that. No real damage done. They had an opportunity to jump back into the top seven yesterday. Uh, and didn't take it. But uh, I don't know particularly the story of the game. Um, other than that, Hampton and Richmond might feel they should have gone on to get uh, three points, given that uh, uh, Canis Carroll was sent off on 27 minutes for Oxford City. They did get themselves level in the second half through David Fisher, but they couldn't find a winner. So we're going to look now at the National League North. And then the National League North... There's only one place to start. It's everyone's favourite National League North team. I saw a video on them this week. They were called the most hated team in non-league football, which is maybe a bit harsh, but it's AFC filed the Kidato con Kidderminster. Yeah, they did. And um, they're going to be disliked even more. They, they, they clocked up a 2-1 win yesterday. Um, Nick Horton, he started the season absolutely on fire for them. Um, he got another goal for them. Joe Folks with an equaliser for Kidderminster. But um, yeah, Stephen Dobby was a, a notable sig- uh, signature that um, Jim Bentley got during the summer. He came off substitute fence with just two minutes of his within two minutes of his introduction, he'd scored the goal and kept filed top. I know there was a lot of, um, uh, it brought memories back, I think, this fixture of, of when filed the Kidderminster were going head to head at the top of the National League North table, maybe four seasons ago, something like that, and, and filed eventually went out to get promoted. So, um, yeah, I think that one, I, I remember there being a, a very memorable 2-2 draw between these sides. But yeah, five got the better of the Harriers yesterday. Team was still going really, really well. Are a team that faced your boys, Dickie Brackley, a, a, a solid 2-0 win for them by all accounts. And I notice you're behind you. You have got an action shot, I think, from that game, have you? 
I have indeed got an action shot from behind the game, but yeah, I think typically it's an action shot from in front of the Telford goal rather than in front of Danny Lewis because um, it wasn't all one-way traffic, but yeah, it was um, given the form Telford are in at the moment, given the form Brackley are in, it, it, it perhaps wasn't a surprise that Brackley won. They're of now, I think they've played seven matches so far. They've played five of them away from home and collected 13 points out of 15 on the road. So Brackley doing tremendously well. And Matt Lowe and Leon Love, um, I think they're both on five goals for the season now after one each in, in either half yesterday. Didn't help Telford scores that they had Zach Lilly sent off after an hour. But yeah, Brackley going along very nicely. And, and, and Telford... There are some concerns around there at the moment. There's pressure growing on Gavin Cowan at the moment. And Brackley, of course, for the game on the BBC Red Button next week in the FA Cup when they take on Hanley Town. And they'll be hoping to avoid a potential banana skin, won't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole reason the BBC have picked that tie is is precisely because of the, of the scenario of, of a, a, a team from a, a higher division going away to lower ranked opponents who've been going well in their own division. So, um, yeah, that's a 12.30 kick off that game there. So there's an opportunity to watch that one on the red button and then dash out and watch your own local team if you can. A massive surprise in the table in third place of Curzon Ashton, another win for them. Yeah, uh, another really good result for them. Um, up against a team in Bradford Park Avenue, I think some people at the start of the season would have had those two pegged for for being towards the bottom of the table, but Curse Ashton are in third. And I have to say, Stephen Cunningham's got to be in with a really good shout as, as the September manager of the month. Curzon have won three out of three of their league games in September, and they also made solid progress in the FA Cup last week with a 4-0 win. Marcus Posher opened the scoring forum. Ollie Johnson equalising for Bradford, but Jack McKay scoring in the second half. He's got a few to his name this season, and, and Curzon are going along very nicely. Thank you. Yeah, another team going along very, very nicely. Uh, I spent more, and they went to Ketun Town, who've made a decent start to the season and they came away with another win. Yeah, they did. And and spending more in, in Tommy Miller, who's taken over from Jason Ainsley. I think he's got equal claims to be manager of the month. Um, also 100% in September, three wins out of three. They knocked FC filed out of the FA Cup in a, in a midweek replay as well. So he's got a, a, a really good claim on that. Um, and, and yeah, they, they, they got a great win yesterday at Kettering Town. A goal up through Ryan Hall. Glenn Taylor doubled the lead. And, and Kettering's goal, um, I think there's some debate whether it's being claimed by Jordan Crawford or Kyle Perry. But it came too late in the day to make any difference. And, and Spennymore took the points back up the M1. I was just on a point of interest about Spennymore, I heard on the radio this week that Spennymore is going to be the ground where they're going to trial a non-heading football match. It is indeed that uh, I think the connection to it is is it's Dr. Judith Gates, whose husband Bill, the former Middlesbrough player. Um, I know he actually used to own a sports shop in Middlesbrough, which I was taken in as a child when I was uh, on visits to my cousin. Um, he's suffering it's not that dementia. Bill Gates, by the way, is it? So. <laughs> no, it's not the Microsoft one. No, I think he's done quite well out of his sports shops, to be perfectly honest. Um, He's unfortunately suffering from dementia in later life now. And, and, and again, his wife being a doctor, she's, you know, looked into the research around this. And, and I think the game has been held more as a, a talking point as anything else to say, look, can, could, could football be played with limiting on the amount of heading? Can we do something that perhaps safeguards the, the health 
not now, but in future years for the participants, you know, uh, it's it's a really, it's a thorny one. As soon as you mention this one, you know, you, you get calls about, well, you know, football is all about heading and, you know, footballers have gone soft, etc. But, you know, if you are the relative of somebody who, uh, who sees, you know, their father or their uncle or somebody just slowly kind of disappearing from view because of dementia and and you know that football could perhaps have contributed to that then you know you've you'd, you'd welcome this research that's going on i'm sure absolutely uh big winners of the weekend at a chester i mean they've they've been very up and down it's fair to say this season a slow start against an informed by side by they've started off the season very well but chester really took them to town didn't he on on saturday yeah, they did. I think Bly's strong start to the season is based on their home form. And, and it's funny, I wrote my notes for this this morning and actually used the world roller coaster about Chester's form. It was a 4-1 defeat by Chorley last weekend, but I think the previous weekend they had a seesaw 3-2 win over Alfreton. You know, so um, if it's entertainment you after, I think the Diva looks like the place to head to. They were a goal down yesterday from... Uh, uh, the informed JJ O'Donnell put Blythe ahead, um, but yeah, they they struck back really strongly. Weeks wearing Dudley Williams, and then the final goal of the day turned home by Jack Redshaw. He joined them on a three-month loan from Ashton uh, at the tail end of the week, and he he's going to strengthen their forward options. Yeah, absolutely. Redshaw's a cracking signing for them. Uh, York City, they start the season with three defeats, didn't they? But since then, I think they're unbeaten, aren't they? They are indeed. They've started uh, not quite the roller coaster. They had three defeats and have followed that with three victories. Um, Darlington were on a bit of a mini revival. They got four points in the last two games, but Steve wants uh, Steve Watson's team um, secured all the points yesterday. A Clayton Donaldson double, one with a header, the second one a penalty. In between those two times, uh, those two goals. Darlington had Jake Cooper sent off, which didn't help their cause. They got a goal back from Luke Charman in the second half. But yeah, not enough for them. And they stay towards the bottom of the table. Yeah, I think I saw a quote from Clayton Donaldson, which says, you're never too old to score goals. I think so. There we go. I think he answered some critics that may have been knocking around him. Yeah, I think I would think he's he may well be York's top scorer at the moment. So yeah, yeah, he's he's defying the critics and and, and defying um, the the advancing years, and 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 he's scoring goals for York. Alverton, Alverton have had a decent week, haven't they? Dickie, they won one 0 against Leamington on Tuesday evening, and then they went up to Farsley Celtic, who are stuck in a little bit of a rut at the minute, and, and came away with three goals and three points. Yeah, six points in a week for Alfreton. So, you know, Billy Heath's team undoubtedly thrilled with that one. And and their recent form, I think they've collected three wins in September. They're, they're up into the top seven. I, I'm reluctant to call them playoff places when there's only six or same, seven games being played because, you know, I think we have to get halfway through the season before we can realistically start talking about playoff contenders. But, um, yeah, Connor Branson scored in the first half. Dale Southwell, one of their summer signings, I think he got off the mark with two in the second half. And and these are difficult days for Farsley manager Adam Lakeland. Their third defeat in a row. They're winless in six. They won on the opening day, but they've followed that with just three draws and then three losses. And I know he's got a really lengthy injury list as well, as he, he mentioned after their FA Cup exit last week. So, um yeah, he's he's got he's not the only manager in the in the national league who's who's got a, a puzzle to solve as he heads into the autumn. Well, next game we're going to look at. Gate said they started off the season well against the Gloucester City side. who started the season well and basically haven't won since I think the third game 
of the season and and the dispensed with manager Paul Groves. Yeah, they, it's been a it's been a tough start for Gloucester. Um, I think they're on. They've conceded twenty goals already. I think in the seven games they've played, obviously that nine nil hiding they got at Chorley a few weeks ago um, it, it is doubtless still fresh in the memories of many. I, I've seen Gateshead this season. Gateshead looked really good going forward. Um, the, two of the goals yesterday came from forwards, Adam Campbell and said Scott. Robbie Tinkler, a defender, got them off the mark with that one. But yes, it, it was more, I don't think that was an unexpected result. I do think Paul Groves departing pretty much straight after the game um, was a little more unexpected. But but Alex Petherham, the Gloucester City chairman, has acted fairly swiftly, fairly decisively. Um, and, and yeah, that can't have been a, a great bus journey home. Comforts of home for Gateshead, that's their fourth home win in a row and they're, they're sitting pretty. Yeah, and the final two games we're going to look at. Boston United, they finally got back to winning ways after being in a sticky patch. And also Hereford drew 1-1 with Leamington. And Hereford are a bit, I don't know, it's difficult to say what, what Hereford are this year. They're kind of a bit, it's, it, no man's land, aren't they? They are. I think hopes were high at Hereford, particularly after them reaching the FA Trophy final last season. Um, but there's been something of a turnover of players since then um, and, and they've got quite a young side I, 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 from looking through their lineup under the side that Josh Gowling and Steve Burr have put together. I mean, they're two vastly experienced um, well, one as a player and one as a manager at this level but the side they've got are, are quite youthful um, and they were up against a very streetwise Leamington side yesterday. Jack Edwards headed Leamington in front he was then involved in an incident that meant that Bulls defender Luke Haynes had to be stretched off. Um, and that added something like 10 minutes of injury time into the first half. It looked as if Hereford were going to lose their third successive home game. But Dan Smith, with a late equaliser, probably feels like a win to them, bearing in mind you know the way things have gone for them. But they're one of only two sides in the division yet to get a win along with Southport, who didn't play yesterday because their game with Chorley was called off owing to COVID. Obviously, they've been high hopes at Boston going into this season as well, and they they, they started off um, in a, with a bit of a sticky patch, but they came up against a Geisley side who are now winless in four goals from Jordan Burrow and Fraser Preston, either side of an equaliser from former Pilgrim striker Jordan Thewlis, uh, and that propels Boston up more into the mid-table zone, you know, set for a, a strike at the playoff places. Well, that is just about it. Chris Dickey, thank you very much. No, it's really good to see you both. Yep. Cheers, Luke. Cheers, Dickey. Rob, thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure as always. Speak to you next weekend. And that is it. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you all next week. (laughs) 